Hello, and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua, and today's episode will be focused on the idea of homesteading, and specifically the journey that I have been on myself from getting started and first being introduced to some of these ideas all the way into having a, I guess what I would call a functioning homestead, so to say. And I want to talk about the different aspects of that, how I got into it, that kind of stuff. But as a reminder, this episode is near the end of an interim series in between season two and season three. And these episodes are specifically oriented around things of my personal interest and my personal opinions. So that is not what the rest of the podcast is generally about. Usually there's a specific theme and it's a little more objective and bringing in other people's opinions and such. But uh, this series here is about stuff that just didn't really fit in the other seasons very well and things that are more oriented towards how I view things and what my opinions are and things that I've experienced myself. And that is what this series is. So we'll have this episode on homesteading and then I'll probably wrap up with one more episode on starting groups in your local community and uh, specifically an example of a group that I recently started that is around the idea of agorism and people that would consider themselves agorists or something similar. And I can kind of talk about what that is and how that process went, as well as I've got a blockchain local group that I meet with and some other things I'm working on. And so I want to talk about that aspect of building community, setting up groups, getting together with other like-minded people, and some concrete applicable information that I can give specifically related to my experience, stuff that I've actually done and witnessed and been a part of. So that's what's coming up next. That might probably will wrap up this interim series, and then we will probably kick off the new year with the beginning of season three. So that's the rough plan. Uh, I also want to mention that I was interviewed on another podcast. This other show is called Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. And obviously, as you would probably know by the title, he generally covers things related to conspiracies, everything from aliens to the occult to government conspiracies and historical conspiracies and all these kinds of things and has all kinds of different guests that discuss these things. And it can be very interesting, especially if you're interested in the idea of conspiracy and getting a little further out there than kind of what I cover. I generally focus on telling the story of history and making sure to include the effects of corruption and conspiracy that have had a big effect on where we are today and how history has unfolded. This particular show, Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence, uh, really highlights those conspiratorial both theories and history and a lot of different perspectives. I went back and listened to a few of his episodes and they were pretty good. I enjoyed them. Just be sure that it is something you are personally interested in and you are willing to go there because it is a little further down the rabbit hole and so it's not for everyone. But uh, I enjoyed it and he has had 
had some other really good guests on, and he specifically had some very positive things to say about our interview. He really enjoyed it. And for our interview, I basically, well, the topic was the Great Reset, but basically we went everywhere from Plato to the Great Reset and coronavirus and everywhere in between the idea of the New World Order and eugenics and these different ideologies that have woven through the powerful and the influencers and our ruling institutions and all of these things. And we talk a little bit about how conspiracy plays a role there, but I think we more broadly talk about how you don't even need a conspiracy if there is a common ideology. And we talk about how those things work out. Lots of different examples and historical context and kind of random things that really tie in together. And it really did come together really well. So if you have not listened to my podcast, specifically season one, it it kind of brings together everything related to season one all in one episode in a sense. And it, it it did go very well, in my opinion. I enjoyed doing it. It was a lot of fun. And I think it all worked out really well together. So if that's something you're interested, check that out. I will try to put a link to that in the show notes, or you can just search for that. If you are a Patreon member, I will put the audio for that on the Patreon page. I've got the audio for Every guest appearance I've done, I've probably done half a dozen or a little more on other shows. And so all of those interviews and appearances are on the Patreon page. So if you're a patron, you can listen straight from there on a specific kind of private feed. If you are not a patron, you can still go to the website, ourfoundations.podbean.com. And I do have a page there specifically dedicated to appearances I've made on other shows. You can figure out what those shows are. You can search for them, go back in their archives, figure out where the show is. And so you can technically hunt it and find those. I'm not trying to make it a secret or anything, but it is a lot more convenient if you are a patron because the way that platform works, I can give a private podcast feed for those people and just put the audio straight on there. Now, with all of that out of the way, it's time to get into the idea of homesteading. So this will span a very wide spectrum from having a small garden and growing some tomatoes and a few other things to getting fairly self-sufficient in a lot of different areas, especially when it comes to food production. And that's kind of where we are getting into now, especially with this coming season with a lot of the stuff that is in the ground and is growing and getting there that will really start producing in the next year or two. So to begin with, I want to mention also how this intersects with the idea of agorism. It's kind of inherently tied to agorism because what agorism is all about is relying less and less on the system, whether that be corporate or governmental, it doesn't matter. If you are reliant on large institutions, then that can be a very weak link. If something happens with those institutions or if they want to impose something that you do not agree with, you're kind of stuck and it's not a very good place to be. To be reliant on others is something that I would not really recommend, and I think you can see why, but with the caveat that we always, in general, uh, in modern lifestyles at least, most of us will always be reliant on other people to some degree. The difference is that if we can choose and if we can take action to be reliant on a diverse group 
of local connections and other people that are like-minded and we do this in a more decentralized way, then we are not as subject to the issues related to centralization and the state and mega corporations and everything that comes along with that, all that baggage we can lessen and lessen our reliance on these institutions and systems, and that really leaves us free to live the life that we really want to live. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, the life you want to live is probably very different than the life of putting all of your faith and reliance on the government and mega corporations. So that's kind of where we're coming from here. Another aspect of agorism is about creating opportunities for side hustles or side jobs or extra money somehow that's ideally outside of the system, not an official job, so to say. And doing a homestead is something that really promotes that, where you might have some extra food that you can sell or trade, or if you make things, then that provides some opportunities, and we can get into that a little more. But I guess to start off with, I'll just give my idea and where I'm coming from when I say the word homestead. The idea is that a homestead would be a home and property and a lifestyle where people are trying to be as close to self-sufficient as they reasonably can be given their desired lifestyles. And so that is generally not going to be 100% off-grid and 100% growing all your own food. But it is creating some energy for yourself, if that's something that is very important to you, definitely creating, producing some food for yourself, producing some things maybe to barter with or to trade, making some of your own items, whether it be soap or sewing clothes or who knows what. But it's this idea of producing your own things, growing your personal responsibility and abilities, and being, again, less reliant on on the system as a whole. That is the idea that I personally have when I think homestead. It's not, again, just 100% self-sufficient, doing everything for yourself off the grid and not have anything to do with the world. No, not really. That's not at least where I am coming from. And I know you could call that a homestead as well. But I am just talking about having that lifestyle of growing your own food, producing your own things, uh, trading and bartering and having local connections and these types of things. Now, I'd like to use my personal experience as the outline for this episode and going through this. I want to just talk about my journey, my own personal homestead journey. And hopefully that will give you maybe some ideas, maybe some context, maybe a little more explanation on things that you hadn't really dug into and maybe some ideas on what you should dig into more, that kind of stuff. So I just want to share kind of the journey that I have been through. And I would say in this context, it begins in my first house shortly after I got married. This would have been seven or eight years ago or so. We started off with a small home that I had bought right before I graduated from college and uh, got married. My wife moved in and I really was not 
very aware of anything related to any of the stuff I've already mentioned at all. Nothing from not even the political theory all the way to growing your own food had hardly any experience with any of it. And so uh, this was kind of the beginning. My wife came from a background where she was homeschooled. Her mom has a botany degree and is big into gardening and always had been. My wife was very big on nature and I personally was also big on nature. I really enjoy hiking and things like that and always have. I've always been less mainstream and interested in kind of alternative things. That's something that I always have been interested in. And I've always liked the idea of self-reliance and independence. So I guess you could say that the seeds were there and the context was there for the idea of a homestead to really grow. Now, at our first house, we started off where I built a few garden beds for my wife. She wanted to have a little garden, and she also had gone out and bought a few blueberry bushes. And so she planted some blueberry bushes, I built her some gardens, and we started growing a few things, kind of the basics, tomatoes and peppers and squash and zucchini and these types of things, and we had the blueberry bushes. And there are only, I think, three or four at the most. And that was kind of our beginning. Now, after that, maybe the next year or so, we decided to get some chickens. And so we got about 12 chickens or so. Some of those uh, bit the dust and we replaced them once. And I think in the end, we didn't have very many by the time we moved. But we did have chickens for a few years. And so we enjoyed the eggs from that. That was the main purpose. They weren't meat birds. But uh, that was nice to have our own eggs, to have these chickens. We expanded our gardens and did kind of a garden plot in our backyard. And so expanded that a little more. We also, uh, I did a lot of ornamental plantings as well, so that's not really related to homesteading, growing your own food, but I really started to learn more about plants and planting and trees and bushes and flowers and all these kinds of things, and so I really started to develop some of that knowledge that I really didn't know much about before. I also learned a lot about home improvement, um, as anybody who is a homeowner would know, that just comes along with the territory. So if something breaks, a lot of times you fix it. And I tried to take advantage of those opportunities to build things, to fix things, and to just kind of learn these skills that I didn't have very much of. I do come from a construction background to some degree, but that's not really related to a lot of those what you would consider handyman skills, maybe some of them, but uh, not all that much. I don't feel like I knew all that much and was that skilled in these things. I also started to up my education around this time period, and I think that is a very key thing. And I personally did this through books and audiobooks and podcasts, but you know, obviously there are many different ways to educate yourself, experience, and taking action. I was doing that, and that is also a very important part. But really getting some of that knowledge and education where you you know what you're working with, you know what, just to even know what the ideas are, know what the possibilities are that you could get into. Because if you don't know, then how could you ever decide, you know, where you want to go if you don't even know where the options are. And so getting to know that as well as getting to know how to do that, mistakes other people have made, ideas other people have had, all these things, uh, that was something that was very key for me, getting more educated in these types of things, everything from diet and nutrition to 
to living a more sustainable lifestyle. We ended up cutting out a lot of processed foods, eating a lot healthier, making a lot of our own stuff, everything from dish soap and laundry detergent. We tried that. We uh, made our own foods. We made kombucha and did that for a while, made our own bread. We kind of experimented and did a lot of things and learned a lot of things related to doing things ourselves and living a more natural and healthy lifestyle. The next phase would have been a few years after being married, we ended up buying some property fairly close by. We bought two acres and uh, it was about a year before we actually built a house on the property. So we had this piece of property. It had some really old fences and barbed wire up and rotten posts that it was hanging on and brush was probably 20 feet out from every fence line. It was just weeds and brush and privet. If you you know what that is, a major pain, poison ivy, and it was kind of a mess a little bit. Uh, it was still nice and had a lot of potential, but it was a mess. And so we spent a long time, actually, I spent a long time really fixing that up. At that point in time, we had already had one kid at least. Yeah, I guess we had one kid at that time. And so my wife usually was with the baby and I usually came over to the property on weekends and when I had extra time and cleared brush and got things prepped and kind of fixed up the property as a whole. There was also a big building that was kind of a garage. I think the people had used it as a workshop. So it was pretty big, just concrete block, and that's it, with an overhang on three sides. It was really nice, though, concrete floor. It was a really nice place, but kind of fixed that up as well and uh, got everything ready. And as I was doing that, again, I was still learning and educating myself on all different kinds of things, especially related to the idea of permaculture. That was a really big one that kind of got me into things even more. This idea of doing things in a way that mimics a natural ecosystem and in a natural way, but harnessing that for production and using that to produce your own food and to promote local wildlife populations and bringing in good pollinators for your own food. And this idea that was really big was uh, stacking functions. That was something that's always been really big for me. And for example, bringing in pollinators, that means that you have beauty, you have butterflies and stuff flying around, and you know, that's very pretty. And you have the flowers that are obviously very pretty. You're also promoting the wildlife and the insect populations, which are very important with the pollinators especially. And so that's a benefit that you're providing as well, as well as if you're growing vegetables and fruits and things like this, then you have a lot more pollinators on your property to pollinate those things and you should get a lot higher yields and get more out of the things that you plant. So you will be increasing the yield of your producing vegetables and fruits and that kind of thing. So there's lots of different benefits to that. And I tried to apply that idea of stacking functions to just about everything. A lot of the things that we have on our property have many different functions all overlaid on top of each other, connected to all these different things. And it's really cool how you can create this type of system with this permaculture mindset. And it works really well. It's very cool. I'll talk about that a little more. But 
after we had the property for about a year or so, we ended up building a house on the property. And when we did, I still was not extremely knowledgeable and I wasn't really on this homesteading kick. I wasn't fully immersed in the idea of permaculture and homesteading quite yet. And so the majority of what I was doing when we first built the house and moved in was a lot of grass and ornamentals and planting, planting some trees that screened off areas that we wanted screened off, planted some evergreens, some Leland cypress and some other things, some hollies and stuff, and a lot of flowers, did a whole landscaping bed in the front of the house, and all these kinds of things, as as you can probably tell, we did all of our landscaping ourselves. And so I, I did a lot of this stuff. And the only things that I really did that would be considered oriented towards homesteading would be that I did plant a few apple trees and a few pear trees. So I got some from just Lowe's or Home Depot, some random ones, but they're ones that I knew and I liked. Like I think I did Gala Apples, maybe Pink Lady and Fuji. I think I got those three if I remember right. And I got two pears. I'm not even sure what variety they are. Hopefully I'll be able to figure that out when they start producing. We will see. But by the time we were moved in and really getting settled in, I think we moved in in the summer of one year. And then by the time fall rolled around, I'd done a lot of this kind of stuff. And I put in a few more things. I think I did raspberries and blackberries, a few blueberry bushes, Uh, three figs, I believe. And we also had solar panels on the house when we built the house. So that's another thing that would definitely be related, producing some of your own energy. And that was kind of a big deal as well. A lot of this stuff that I had started putting in, I basically got on clearance at the end of the season. And so that was really nice. The local Ace Hardware does some really good clearance sales at the end of the year. And they often have some kind of more interesting varieties and species that you don't see in a lot of other places. So that's kind of cool. I don't know if that That's Ace Hardware's everywhere around North America, however far they expand. I don't know where Ace Hardware really, I don't know what their boundaries are, but around here, I I do like the local one and can find some cool stuff. So that's really nice. And they do, again, some pretty steep clearance at the end of the season. So that's where I got a lot of these. But I, I also established, I think, four raised beds. I built a chicken coop and built some fences. We wanted to have chickens, and we didn't have them yet, but we were going to get them in the spring. And so I started establishing all these, starting in the fall, going into the winter time. I kind of planned out what our expansion would be and really just started getting established. As you can tell, you know, we had quite a few things. There are a few fruit trees, a few berry bushes, a setup for chickens, solar panels, some of these types of things. And that that's a really good start. That was definitely much further than I had ever gone before in my life. But around this time is when I really started digging into the idea of homesteading, self-sufficiency, more naturally oriented living, uh, permaculture, really digging into that. And so... I really kind of went down the rabbit hole around this time period, started learning about food forests. That was really big for me. I like the idea of food forest and forest gardens. And so uh, obviously I wanted to apply a lot of these things and implement them. And so coming into that uh, next year after we had moved in, we started doing a lot of stuff. So I really just wanted to 
do whatever we felt like we could, to be honest. And that involved many different things. We ended up getting two pigs, little baby pigs and piglets, and wanted to raise these two pigs for meat and see how that went. We got a heritage breed that was fairly small. It was uh, mainly Cooney Coonies. They were mixed a little bit with something else, but I think 75% Cooney Coonies, and they're a pretty small pig. They still might get 250 pounds or so, but they I think they totaled a little over 200 pounds when we had them processed, and that was after about a year and a half, I think, was the total period of time we had them. And so they they were still, you know, they're big, they're big animals, but for a pig, that's not very big, especially for that time period. And the Cooney Coonies, being a heritage breed, did a lot of grazing on the pasture. They eat a lot of grass. They're not quite as hard on the landscape. They're not quite as hard on the fences trying to get out, that kind of stuff. And so we felt like that was a really good beginning animal to try for producing some of our own meat. So that was pretty cool. We did get chickens and we got a flock of chickens established. And that was also very cool. We got little chicks. If you have listened to the first season of the Our Foundations podcast, you will probably remember a few episodes. I remember specifically the ideologies of the elite episode right before the corruption conspiracy series that I did there were little baby chicks chirping in the background and I tried to edit some of that out it was basically impossible because we had a giant box of chicks in the same room that I was recording in and so that's just the way it is so sorry if you remember that it probably did stand out but those were the chicks and that was our first flock of chickens so we had the chickens going we got two pigs and had them in there with them we expanded the orchard and I planted some plums and some peaches and some nectarines and cherries and just all kinds of different things like this. Some kiwis. I got some more blackberries and raspberries and some more blueberries. And so this was really cool. There were two different places. One pretty local place that was a little pricey, but I really like their business and they're a really good place. And so I bought some stuff from them. And the other was more of a wholesaler that was probably about an hour away. But I ended up getting good sized fruit trees for like 10 bucks a piece. And that was much cheaper than anywhere else. And they had varieties that did very well in my area. Typically, they only sold in bulk at wholesale prices. But if you went and picked them up yourself, they sold them, or at least they sold them to me for the wholesale price. And that was really cool. So I got most of the fruit trees, especially from there. And so I had built out the orchard. There were maybe 20 fruit trees or so total. And again, we had the pigs, we had the chickens. I built a few more garden beds. I think I doubled the amount of garden beds we had. So I think by that time we had about eight. I also built some more fences. And so now about half the property was fenced in and fenced in in I think two sections. And so we were able to kind of rotate pasture if we wanted to, or keep some in one area, some in the other. We did that with the pigs. We actually gave them a little area in the backyard that was fenced in and then moved them down to the bottom of our property in a separate fenced in area and made them a little pig shelter out of pallets and then moved them in, opened that area up to the area above it, which is where the chickens were, which kind of went around the building that was on the property when we bought the property to begin with. And so then we had the pigs and the chickens all together with access to the orchard and a pretty big field. And they all had maybe about an acre or a little less of land total. 
and kind of free ranging and doing their things. And there are a few complications with that. But overall, everything went really well. I also added more to our landscaping and did more flowers to add to the beauty of the area. And one of the main reasons was because our soil was crap. We have nothing but red clay, especially in our front yard. And so half the stuff I planted died and that wasn't very fun. And so I've uh, gone through a few iterations of what our front garden bed looks like because every time I plant stuff, about half of it died. And so at at this point in time now, I've built up the soil to the point that at least most stuff will stay alive. And it seems like things are doing halfway decent now. So that's nice. But at the time, especially in the beginning, uh, half the stuff died and it did not do well at all, probably more than half. And so that was not ideal at all. But uh, that pretty much takes us into last spring. And last spring is when I really put things into full gear. That is when I had dug in very deep into food forests and forest gardens. I had gotten into the idea of agorism, and I had educated myself very thoroughly in libertarian political thinking, especially, and homesteading and self-sufficiency and permaculture and food forests and just all these things that really coalesced together into this idea and this concept that I realized that I had that I wanted to be fairly self-sufficient. I wanted to be able to produce our own things. I realized that a lot of the stuff that we were buying in the store and the grocery store was full of poison. And I didn't really want that. A lot of these companies are extremely corrupt and have a lot of baggage with them. And I don't really want to support that. I see a lot of kinks in the system and weak links in the system, both in the government and in corporations. And I don't really want to be subject to that. If something were to break, I don't want to be the one hurt by that. I don't want to be reliant on these systems. And so this is when all this stuff really fully kicked in, I would say, probably last spring. And when that did, and when I really solidified this, I wanted to put it into action for myself in my own life. And so I did. And with that, I placed a pretty big order for increasing the size of the orchard yet again and getting a lot more berry bushes and some other things like this. I used Raintree for a lot of the stuff that I got. I really like them. I used a few other companies online and... Uh, it seemed like multiple things from any other company I ordered from died. And Raintree, I don't think anything did. I think everything they sent me flourished and did great, even in the first year. I got some raspberries and strawberries that I planted in the spring, and they were actually producing strawberries and raspberries a few months later. And I thought that was kind of crazy because I just planted them, but they did great. Everything did great. So I, I do highly recommend Raintree. They're a little more expensive. And so you got to keep that in mind. Shipping costs might be a little high for you depending on where you are. But in my opinion, if everything's going to work and thrive and they have a lot of different unique varieties of things, then I really like that idea. And I'll get into another idea kind of later in this episode about kind of how to take advantage of using a resource like that and expanding the potential that what you get from there has. But anyway, I ordered all of this stuff and this is around when coronavirus really started. And this worked out very well for me because not only did I have all of these fruit trees and berry bushes and all this kind of stuff, strawberries and raspberries and all these things, but I also had ordered seedlings from a lot of different state departments. And yes, I ordered from the state. So be it. And so I, I realized that this was a very useful resource 
source. Most states, especially the Missouri Department of Conservation, I think, Missouri Department of something, forestry, maybe, I think it's conservation, though. They were the best one, but there were a few states that were very good, and you can order seedlings, and they're super cheap. Generally, you get them in bundles of 25, and they might be 50 cents a piece or so. Some states are a dollar, two dollars a piece, but still super cheap. And they send you basically these bare root sticks, but you can get all different kinds of varieties of fairly native plants. And what I did is I looked through pretty much every single state that had a program like this, and at least half of them I think do. And then I picked out all the ones that were in my zone or close to my zone and found all the food producing options that were there. So there's things like pawpaw trees and mulberry trees, as well as aronia bushes and elderberry bushes and lots of different things. There's also a lot of good nitrogen fixers, which are good companion plants for just about anything. So something like maybe false indigo might be a good example, or I think some of the other food producers might have been service berries and nanny berries and blackberries, and I don't know, I'm sure there's more, but there's so many different things, and I ordered pretty much all of them. Everything that was a food producer that seemed like it produced good food that I would actually be interested in eating, I got it. And so I had, I added up, there's probably like 300 seedlings that came in. And so add those 300 to probably about the 50 or so plants that I had coming from Rain Tree and some more that I got from other places. I mean, it was crazy. I had all kinds of stuff. And luckily, this hit right when I got about a month off of work when coronavirus first hit and everybody was freaking out. You had the lockdowns and my wife and I were being very careful when this all started because my wife has asthma. We also had had a newborn at the time who had had to go to the emergency room for breathing issues twice by the time he was only a few months old. And so with that, when we have this cross between SARS, which is a respiratory virus and a normal coronavirus, you know, we wanted to be extra careful. And so we were. And so we were staying home a lot. Plus I was off work and I was able to do all this stuff. I basically planted the perimeters of our property, all the fence lines with uh, trees. I did the producing native species kind of in the back and then more of the smaller, bushier ones out from that and tried not to shade out anything that I didn't want to shade out. I left plenty of yard for our kids to play in the front area and a lot of other places I just planted like crazy. Things like elderberry, which can be poisonous because of the seeds I didn't want in our normal yard, so I had those in with chickens and pigs. And things that specifically I thought would be good for pigs if we wanted to continue to do them or other animals I put in with them, like some mulberries and some oaks. I did a specific type, chinkapin oak, which apparently have acorns that are pretty good for people to eat. You've got to do some things to process them and make them taste good, but apparently those are fairly good ones to have, as well as pigs love acorns. And so I, I did some things like this, try to strategize where I would put them. I also started a bit of a food forest, forest garden type of area where I kind of did that same strategy of the bigger trees in the back and then staggered them out to smaller and smaller, and then had a big berry patch where I've got gooseberries and currants and salal and gaumi berries kind of all under 
I guess slightly under a bigger canopy that I've got on one area of my property. And so they like shade. And so they get a decent bit of shade there. And it's fairly acidic soil because there's a pine tree really close by. So a lot of pine needles around. And then out from that, I've got a row of blueberries. And under all the blueberries are strawberries, planted strawberries. And they've taken off there. They look great. I already have gotten a decent bit of strawberries just even though I planted them in the spring. And it's been you know less than a year. It's not even next spring yet. And so they have done very well. And I'm pretty happy about that. Then the berries and in the back, I also planted a lot of herbs and perennial things like kale and some stuff like that, some lingonberries, if you know what those are, and planted those all on the bottom. So the idea is I have these berry bushes, and behind them I have some taller food-producing trees, and even under the berry bushes I have kind of like a ground cover of strawberries and herbs and other berry-producing things that are really low. And in between, I did a lot of wood chips and kind of mulched the paths in between. And it's a really cool setup. I'm pretty happy with it. I also built some kind of a trellis system deal, like two lines for raspberries and have at least 15 to 20 raspberry plants in between those two rows and planted some more blackberries and did some boysenberries. I'm really excited. Those should produce this coming year. I'm excited to get to taste those. But in addition to planting all these seedlings all around the property and creating this really cool forest garden, food forest area, I also added even more garden beds and we hatched a batch of chicks. We were only going to let two hens set on a clutch of eggs, and it turned out those two hens were each sitting on roughly 20 eggs apiece, and there was a third hen we didn't even realize was sitting on a clutch, so we were so focused on those two that we brought out and made a little brooder area for them to raise their chicks as they hatched and to sit on their eggs and finish them out, and there was another one that was sitting in one of the nesting boxes that we didn't realize that was sitting on a clutch of eggs. So we ended up with many chicks. We ended up with a total of probably 40 or so. A lot of them ended up being roosters, and we gave those away, actually sold them to somebody that actually ended up living right right up the street from us on our same street. So that was kind of cool. I just put an ad on Craigslist and turned out to be a guy a few houses down. And so that was neat. We get to see them actually as we drive by. Oftentimes we see our roosters in the yard and that's pretty cool. But um, with all that said, we do have a lot more chicks. They are now actually just now starting to produce eggs. So that's really cool. That has really been nice because our older hens are not laying very well in the winter. And so these new ones are actually starting to lay. So that's really cool. We also added an herb bed that included herbs and medicinals. And that's something we want to get a little more into with some medicinal plants for various reasons for making poultices and tinctures and all kinds of stuff. So that's a cool addition that we have made. And again, we've continued learning about a lot of different things, my wife and I both. We also finally got our tax return this past summer. It took like six months for us to get it. But uh, for various reasons, because I hadn't changed stuff with my work, we ended up with a gigantic tax return. Plus, we got the Trump bucks from the stimulus check that went out. And so we pretty much put all this together and put it all into our property and did all kinds of stuff. We had a pond dug out in one area. It's probably about 75 feet by 50 feet or so, so decent size. 
We also did a little more dirt work, put in some frost-free spigots around where our gardens are. So that was very handy and very nice. And the same guy that did the pond did that. And he also got an old telephone pole and we mounted a bat house that I built on it and got that put up. So now I've got a giant bat house that should house all kinds of bats. I did, I think, like a four-chamber house, if I remember right, and it should hold a large colony. So that'll be awesome. And we've got the pond. And we got a few other convenient things like the spigots and a little extra dirt work. And in addition, we bought some things like a freezer and a dehydrator. We found a good supplier, Azure Standard. I would highly recommend it if they're in your area. You can buy a lot of stuff in bulk from them. And so we started buying a lot of giant bags of dry beans and wheat berries. I bought a hand grinder that was kind of top of the line. It was a few hundred bucks. It was pretty crazy, but it works extremely well, very well built. Everybody swears by it. And so Country Living is the name of that one, the Country Living Grain Mill. And I've really enjoyed that. I use it some, my wife uses it a lot more, but we can save a lot of money by buying the wheat berries instead of buying the already ground wheat. We also can make it more fresh and it's easier to store. We can buy in bulk. We can save some money, lots of different advantages there. So that's pretty cool. But we basically invested in the things that we did not have set up yet so that we could continue on this journey of being more and more self-sufficient, being a more and more efficient and effective homestead. And so that's kind of what we did. We had that giant bulk of money come in and we just dumped it all into all this stuff. And that was really cool. That then takes us into this fall, uh, just a few months ago, and I did even more stuff. I got some more figs from, again, Ace Hardware. They had a big clearance. Everything was like 50 to 75% off, and they didn't have much, but they had figs and blueberries and muscadines. And all three of those are things that I really like and really wanted. So I bought a few more fig bushes. I got a few more blueberry bushes, a few being like 14 or something crazy, and also got a few muscadine vines, some that they had, and some more blackberries, by the way, which the pigs proceeded to tear up and eat. And that was a pretty big loss. I was very disappointed because one of the varieties especially was one that I was looking for for a while and that Ace Harbor randomly had this really cool uh, variety that I've really been wanting of blackberry and the pigs ate it. And so that was a pretty big disappointment. But besides that, I ended up getting all these things and I planted a bunch of stuff on the fence line behind the pond. So we had gotten, that area used to be kind of woods and got that cleared, got the pond dug. I put in a fresh fence. We got a gate and I planted the edge of that fence line with things like mulberries and aronia bushes. And I, I had had some seedlings that I put in kind of random places. I didn't really want them there, but didn't have anywhere else to put them because I had like 300 seedlings when I caught them at that point in time. And so I moved some of those over to the pond area and put them on the fence line behind the pond. And some of those muscadine vines that I got from Ace Hardware, I planted those along there too. So we should have muscadine vines growing on the fence and up into the woods and that can as well as some more producing trees and bushes over there. And that ought to be really cool. I'm pretty excited about that. And hopefully that'll kind of keep the woods and poison ivy and stuff at bay, giving a little barrier there. And I seeded that whole area with some grass, but also a lot of clover and other cover crops. And so that should help to build up the soil as well and provide a good pasture for the chickens and anything else we decide to get in the spring. We also took a strawberry bed that we had. One of the garden beds I had built is a designated strawberry 
very bad, and they had gotten very thick over the past kind of year and a half that they had been in. So my wife uh, had her mother come over, and they went to town on them and dug them up and divided them up and then respaced them and replanted them. And I had a basically a whole tarp full of strawberry plants that were just extra. I had I don't even know how many. I probably had fifty or so, and she gave away a bunch to some of her friends and people she knew. And so I took all these extra ones and planted them in my forest garden, of course. So I put even more underneath the berries and things like that. And so that's really cool. I got some extra kiwis and that's kind of neat. There's a few varieties of kiwis that can grow. I'm in zone seven and so they can grow in my zone and climate. And so that's really cool. We also got a puppy. My wife especially had always wanted a full bred Great Pyrenees. And so we got one. We had already had we already had one dog and it was a mix between Border Collie and Great Pyrenees, kind of half and half. And we thought that'd be a good mix for kind of a farm life on our property here. And it is. And we love that dog. That dog's name's Ben. And we got this new puppy now this past fall. His name is Moosh, named by our four-year-old. And so that is that has been a bit of a challenge. It's kind of annoying. He's been pooping in the house and things like that. And so that's been a little interesting. But in general, he seems to be a great dog. I think he's going to be a good addition to our family. He's going to be a bit more of a guardian dog, a farm dog. We're going to try to get him used to the chickens, the animals, the gardens, things like this. So he doesn't tear stuff up, but he does protect them. We do have coyotes in the area. We've got chicken hawks that fly around, different things like this. And so having the dog is very helpful. We already, we had one dog, we had two and one died uh, less than a year ago. And so even just having the one after that with all of his barking and running around and patrolling the property, Uh, we don't really have any raccoons or possums or things that most people have decimate their chicken flock or chickens have been very safe. And that's been so handy to have. Deer are not jumping the fence and coming in, even though they're all over the place. And so our gardens have been fairly unmolested. I think we've had one rabbit that got in at one point in time and ate some things, but for the most part, everything's been kept out just by having dogs. And so that has been extremely beneficial. So having this puppy and having two good guardian dogs on the property, that should be very helpful. And I'm excited about that. We also got some ducks when I had the pond dug. It was kind of a last minute decision. They tugged the pond and I realized that since it was getting into wintertime, I couldn't really plant a lot of plants and I wanted to have a natural ecosystem for the pond. I don't have electricity down there. There's no pump or aerator or anything like that. So I wanted to have fish and pond plants and ducks and different things like this to really help that from becoming a giant mosquito pit full of algae. Pretty much, I want to create a natural ecosystem to make that work. And I might get a little solar fountain. Uh, That's something I'm still considering and haven't done yet. But anyway, I decided and came to the conclusion that I really needed ducks. I needed something in there. I needed ducks and I needed some fish pretty bad. And so me and the two boys, we've got a basically four-year-old, three-year-old roughly, and we've gone out quite a few times to our local lake around here. It's uh, part of the Tennessee River, so it's called the lake, but part of the river, and found a good few good places where we can get minnows. And so we've uh, taken the net down there, and the boys love trying to catch minnows. And we've gotten a few other small things. I don't know if they're small baby perch or bass or who knows what, but whatever they are, we've got them in the pond now. And so we've harvested some fish and thrown them in there. I got the ducks. We got 15 Muscovy ducks. And so they're a dual purpose bird. They are good for eggs and good for meat. So mainly we're going to use them for eggs, but we might try them out for meat too. 
So that's pretty exciting. We've got those that just came in in the fall. We also decided to try to start harvesting our own seeds. And that's something we did for a few things. And we're basically trying to learn more about it so that this coming season, we can harvest a lot of our own seeds. With coronavirus, a lot of people started gardening. So a lot of places were sold out of bushes and trees and seeds and gardening supplies and all these kinds of things. And again, it's one of those things where it's a bit of a wake-up call that, hey, these systems and supply chains might be a little fragile and might have some issues, especially if something major goes down. And so to be more self-sufficient proved to be a very good thing. Luckily, I'd ordered all this stuff uh, prior, probably six months before we actually uh, used it and got uh, these things shipped to us. So all the seedlings and all the fruit trees and berry bushes, the majority of that stuff I had ordered beforehand. So when coronavirus hit, things went a little wonky. I still got all the things I ordered before they sold out. But seeds were one thing we realized that we didn't have enough of. And we did have a bit of a delay in getting some things in because they were sold out. It was hard to find sweet potato slips when we wanted to do those and got those in a little late because of that. Same with garlic. And so propagation is one of the things on our list to come pretty much. We also, this fall, I got a few loads of compost and wood chips. So that was kind of the end of our tax return money and that giant chunk that we had gotten over the summer. And I got basically two giant dump trucks full of mushroom compost and wood chips. And so with this, we layered that on all the garden beds. I put it in my forest garden. We redid our front landscaping bed where I laid down, laid down newspaper first, which is a good deterrent for weeds. And it breaks down over time, so it's not really an issue or anything. So I laid that down, then a layer of mushroom compost, then a layer of wood chips. And so that should really help out in the front bed. But I uh, did some similar stuff in the garden beds and in my forest garden area. And so that should really help, especially that mushroom compost is very good for building up the soil and encouraging lots of uh, fungal growth and worms and all kinds of good stuff in there. And so that was kind of the last thing we did this fall coming into the winter time, which is now, um, I have built a few more garden beds and, uh, am fixing a flaw that I had realized in the garden beds. So when I started building garden beds, I wanted something that was fairly permanent, that wasn't poisonous, that kind of stuff. It's so like railroad ties are soaked in things that are poisonous, and I don't want to grow my food in that. And treated lumber, some people have some issues with that, but lumber in general, just wood, is something that does rot over time, and you have to replace. And with coronavirus, wood prices were through the roof, and so that's also an issue. And so what I decided to do is get concrete blocks. That's what I did for the very first ones, and that's what I'm still doing. But with concrete blocks, uh, we have come to find out that the holes of the blocks are great places for weeds to grow, and it's nearly impossible to weed and get down into those holes. Now, theoretically, you can fill the holes with dirt and plant little things in them, and yeah, that looks nice. That didn't seem to work out very well for us personally. It, it was just more of a hassle. And so this winter, I got a load of gravel in my truck, and I basically filled all the holes halfway with gravel, and then I'm doing quickcrete, fill the rest of them in, they're concrete. And so the beds themselves will be very solid, and I'll have a nice barrier. The height of the block, as well as the width of the block, will be nothing but solid concrete that should really help keep the weeds out and provide a great barrier. I can weed eat up against that, keep that weed eated very well, 
well, and that should be very helpful. I'm really excited about that. I'm actually in the middle of doing that. I've done about half the beds so far and need to get some more quickcrete to finish them off. But that's one thing I'm doing. I'm going to prune all of my things. I haven't pruned any of the fruit trees or berry bushes or anything yet. A lot of that stuff, again, I just got last year. So even the oldest stuff is only two years old. So I'm going to prune everything and make sure that's all up to date. Building a bunch of bird houses. I'm going to put those all around the property and have many other random projects that I will be doing. And that's kind of where I am at right now. And then heading into the spring, I've I've got plenty of goals. I'm going to finish out the orchard, finish out my berry patch. I've got another round of rain tree things coming in, especially fruit trees, and really going to load up on fruit trees. This is going to be awesome. I'm really excited about that. But I'm going to finish out the orchard with all the fruit trees and some extra stuff I wanted. I am getting a few more berry bushes. I'm getting a few more figs. And elderberry is something else that I decided I really wanted to do. I had gotten... I I think like 10, there's one of the state agencies that you can get bundles of 10 for the seedlings. And I had gotten, I think that was one that I got 10 elderberry bushes and it was just a random kind of native variety. But I wanted some good cultivars that are specifically designed for production of elderberries. And so I have now ordered a few of some very good varieties of elderberries. So that's something we'll be able to use and use a lot of. And I'm pretty excited about that too. That's something we like. We like using elderberry syrup. It's something that's very handy for us and very healthy. And there's some other reasons for that. It's a really good thing for doing value add stuff and selling. Eventually, I want to sell at the market with all the extra stuff we're producing. And so that's kind of forward thinking for that as well. So all of those things are coming in the spring. We're also going to get some sheep, at least that's the plan. So this winter, I need to build some sheep stalls and I've kind of got an area for that that'll work really well, but I need to get those built out and then we're going to get some sheep and have some meat sheep. And that'll be pretty exciting. I also have a bee house that is not built yet, but that's again on my list for the winter time. And so hopefully I'll get that built and we'll get a beehive going and have some bees and that'll be really cool, really help with the pollinating as well. I would like to stock the pond with more fish and kind of finish out the pond. I need to do more pond plants. I've actually got a few, some lilies and some other things, spread some seeds for some cattails, and I know they'll take over, but that's okay, especially where um, that is. And so I I really want to get some more plants going on in there, some more fish going on in there, and uh, possibly or probably um, a solar fountain and really get that pond set up and finished. We also are going to try out some things with straw, which will be really interesting. We're going to try some straw bale gardening. So we have decided that we want to attempt to grow a year's worth of a lot of stuff. Pretty much everything that we use on a regular basis and grow ourselves, we want enough for the entire year if possible. And that's everything from green beans, and we often freeze enough to go through the year, to potatoes, to tomatoes, and that can be in the form of sauces and diced and frozen and can whatever. But a lot of this stuff, we want to have enough for the full year, garlic, onions, all of it. And so that requires a lot of space. It's not going to be possible 
even with the number of garden beds that we already have. We have quite a few, and we still aren't going to have enough room. Even with me planting in my forest garden, since my berry bushes aren't that big yet, I can add some annuals, like some squashes on the ground in areas that aren't taken over by strawberries already, at least. And uh, I'm, I'm going to try these things. I had hot peppers growing in my forest garden this year that did really well, and that was really exciting. But uh, still, there's not enough room. And so what we're going to do is do the straw bale gardening, where you get straw bales, you basically start the decomposition process ahead of time a few weeks prior, get them going and when you're ready to plant the straw bales basically are like compost like you're planting straight in compost and it seems really cool I've done a lot of research on it and looks like that's going to work really well especially for our situation and our areas that we are doing this in and so that's exciting we're also going to try growing potatoes in straw and that's kind of a new one for me but you basically like lay out the potatoes and cover them and I don't remember how deep maybe a foot of straw or something crazy and the potatoes actually grow in the straw and the straw starts to decompose and again you're kind of growing them in compost in a sense and it seems really cool it's supposed to work really well we'll see never tried it and so that's on the list and the final thing that's on the list is i want to start a local meetup that is oriented around homesteading and permaculture so i might talk about that in the next episode because i'm going to talk about that subject in the next episode so i'll get that there but I want to build some local connections of other people doing similar things. And I've already started to do that. And again, we'll get into that in the next episode. So that that's it. This is almost an hour long and I've been trying to keep them closer to 30 minutes. I've failed a lot. I'm sorry, but uh, that's just the way it is. So I would like to say thank you to everyone who is listening. I appreciate your support of all kinds, especially the financial support of the patrons, as well as people that are following on Twitter and that have sent me messages via email. If you have any questions or want to know more about any of the stuff I've mentioned, feel free to send me an email, send me a message somehow, and I can get back with you. I know this is a lot of stuff and went through it really quick. Again, I'm trying to keep the episodes condensed and so I go through a lot of information very quickly and kind of talk fast a lot of times. That's intentional. I had a lot of people saying that the hour long and hour and a half long and some were two hour long episodes in season one were a little too much for them to consume. They're intimidated. Uh, They just didn't feel like they could do it. And so again, that's why I'm trying to keep them under an hour. And that's why I'm done for now. So please come back next time for the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this one. And with that, I'm out. Peace. This has been another episode of Our Foundations Podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.